whether or not we all realize it, those of us who serve the Lord are participating in the most epic adventure of all time, space, and history. I think it's about time that we start celebrating the miraculous and wonderful ways that God touches our lives in everyday circumstances. I'm Karen Pennington, and this is Daily Adventures in Grace. Many of you know, I record most of these posts fairly early in the morning. It's now before seven o'clock a.m. and I, um, my mind takes me some weird places early in the morning and um, sometimes they're fun, sometimes I need to abandon ship. So I'll just tell you this morning and you can forgive me if you think it's the wrong way. This morning I was thinking of all things of a beer commercial and I don't drink beer. I. Uh, I grew up in a church tradition that was dry, so I did not drink for a very long time. And I, gosh, I think it's been years since I've had a drink now, even in the church that I'm in. And um, I'm, I'm not against it for people who are in a tradition that does not drink and who can do one do so with, you know, conviction and integrity, and that that sort of a thing. Um, that's something that has to be between you and God. Just tell the truth, and. Uh, I absolutely do not like the taste of beer. <laughs> so I just, it's a personal, there's a few different things that, reasons that we don't. But so anyways, there's this beer commercial where way, way back where there was a fight between the different, usually it was men, sometimes there were women, where they were like, taste great, less filling, taste great, less filling, taste great, less filling. And they were in this whole huge fight. And <laughs> the funny thing about the commercial, the thing that was supposed to be funny was that this particular beer was supposed to taste great and be less filling. And so they're fighting over which one's right when they were both right. You know, both true, both important. Now, that said, I personally think beer tastes gross. I think I had a sip of it once or twice outside of this tradition, this church tradition that I'm no longer, you know, part of. Um, and then it became a matter of forget the fact that, you know, I may be able to drink it now, but I don't want to because I think it's gross. Um, some of you may like beer. Some of you may think it's less filling. But the, the point is, the point here is that sometimes two things are true and we're fighting over which one's true when they're both true. And it's like we're trying to grasp at one or the other instead of the two working together. And um, let me give you a better example. Uh, for those of you watching YouTube, this is blue highlighter. Now some people might argue that it's blue and some people, people might argue that it's a highlighter. Some people may focus more on the blueness of it. You know, some people, oh, I need something blue, I need something blue. Some people may focus on the highlighter-ness of, of it. But one does not negate the other and you can't just focus on one other than the other. Sometimes it may be more important that you need a highlighter and you don't think about the fact that it's blue, but you better still keep in mind that it's blue because there may be a need for a blue highlighter. Sometimes you may need something blue, but the fact that it's a highlighter doesn't make it any less blue and the fact that it's blue doesn't make it any less a highlighter. Both are true. In some cases, both are necessary. Both are qualifiers of what this thing is. But there may be an argument 
over. I need something blue, but it's not a highlighter. I need a highlighter, but it's not blue, you know, but either way, both are very important parts about what this identity is. Um, there's not really any arguing over which one it is. Both, it, it, both is an important part of this highlighter's identity. So where am I going with this, you know, with beer and highlighters and, um, Sometimes we have more than one important part of our identity, and sometimes it's a challenge to balance those two parts of the identity. Um, always, there's more than one important part of our identity. We could also talk about this as a thick highlighter and not a thin highlighter. You know, we can go all kinds of things. And as Christians, as followers of Christ, there's often this tension we follow, particularly, I don't even want to say particularly, I think always, um, whereas followers of Christ, well, God in general, you know, God is love. God is love. You know, that's scriptural. God is also truth. That's scriptural. Both found in the book of John, pretty much both found in many books. God is love and God is truth. So, which one do we focus on? And of course the answer is both. That can be hard sometimes. That can be very hard sometimes. Um, and we tend to sometimes lean too much to one way or to the other. And not when I'm saying leaning, um, I'm saying sometimes we focus on one aspect to the detriment of the other. You know, I may have a child who really wants something blue to color their picture, so they take this highlighter and they color it and color it and color it, and then it doesn't, they feel bad because it's not dark enough because it's a highlighter. Somebody might need a highlighter, and not focus on the fact that this is blue, and then mess up their notes or something, you know, this is not a great analogy. But sometimes we focus so much on one aspect that it pulls away from the other, and um, there's really a call to sort of move towards the center, and there's grace there, because there isn't a perfect answer. This is the, this is the uh, perfect analogy and the perfect recipe, but that's part of what's kind of great in the Christian journey, you know, how boring would it be if it was just, this is it, you know, <laughs> and, and there are, it's not that there aren't absolute truths, it's just the walking out of those absolute truths, the walking out of the absolute love of God, it's more of an adventure, it's one, and if we could just walk it out with one formula, then we wouldn't really need God, and it reminds us over and over of our dependence on God. Uh, now, my last post, I was talking about the Apostle John, and how he had written uh, five books, and there were really five words. Hopefully I'm going to get this right. Uh, love, life, truth, light, and Jesus. <laughs> um, it just exudes all of the books. And I had focused on truth and how, you know, in the book of John, the, the, the epistle, uh, it's too early for me to be talking right. In the gospel of John, it was really set up Jesus as the true light, true love. You know, uh, true everything, true Jesus, you know, the true Son of God, the true Messiah. He was set up as the foundation of truth. In 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, those letters, first an open letter, and then 2nd and 3rd John uh, written to specific people, it talked about really what it means to live by the truth and the love of God, the true love of God. Um, really, true love is the thing, word together, uh, like blue highlighter. <laughs> um, the, 
And then in the in Revelation, we think about that a lot of times as, oh, it's talking about the end times, talking about Christ's return. And he does. But it's first and foremost a letter. It's a letter to seven churches and Asia Minor. And as he talks, he really starts the letter by addressing each of the different churches. And what's happening is churches are kind of veering to the left, veering to the right. And there really is this, like, love-truth balance. Um, and he's really trying to call them back to the center. Now, all these churches were in Asia Minor. Um, sometimes you think of Asia Minor, you're like, oh, big continent. <laughs> but it was really just a small region. Um, all the churches would have been definitely, I need to look this up, definitely within 100 miles of each other, probably about 50 or 60 miles of each other. In a big, it'd be this, like an area of a, a state, you know, it'd be like to the church in Western Pennsylvania, you know, <laughs> if, if you're from the U.S., you know, or to the church in the Toronto area, if you're from Canada. Um, it's a small region of churches and church history, um, according to church history, they believe that John, the Apostle John, really ended up being sort of a bishop and an overseer in those areas eventually. Um, he was writing from the island of Patmos, which was a little bit off Greece, right between Greece and Turkey. And, and Asia Minor would have been, what they called Asia Minor now would be like maybe the south-southwestern region of what is modern-day Turkey. Um, and the church really, really sort of took off there because Paul spent a good bit of his missionary journey there. And then others came after him. Um, Timothy was there. Um, I think uh, So a lot of the you know church forefathers were really spent a lot of time there and um, good things were happening but we're now maybe around 90 AD so we're talking about 40 years 40 45 years after the church had been founded and they're starting to slip a little as often happens when you're in a second or third generation church and they're veering a little to the left they're veering a little to the right some are veering very off course and uh, Paul writes to seven churches um, three of them our sort, what he's saying is you're veering a little bit to the left, veering a little to the right. Let's course correct. Uh, two of them, Philadelphia and Smyrna, he doesn't really speak to anything that they're doing wrong. He just comforts them because they're in a period of trial and they're in a period of intense persecution. And more is coming. So he's just saying, stay faithful, stay faithful. Um, and Sardis and Laodicea, they're way off course. He's like, get right. He's like, get back on track, people. Sardis, he says... You are, you you have a reputation for being alive, but and you're dead. And Laodicea says he says you think you're rich, but you're so poor. You are so you you are lukewarm. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Actually, that word is vomit. <laughs> um, like I'm going to violently reject you from my body, from being part of my body if you don't correct yourself because you are like dead in the water right now. Uh, but I want to focus on two of those middle ground churches, the ones who uh, seem to try to be faithful, but m we're missing it just a little bit, missing it just a little bit. And I, I love that word faithful. I've mentioned this before. Uh, pistis. Uh, in English it would be P-I-S-T-I-S. -I pistis. Uh, in the Aramaic lettering. Uh, but that word, faithful, um, we think of it sometimes as a feeling, or we think of it as an action, and it's both. That word faith, 
pistis also means faithfulness. In the Greek, it does not separate it. And when we're talking about truth and love, living, truly living, and loving, those are kind of the, the, the two parts of it. In order to truly live faithfully, you have to have that obedience or the true obedience, but you also have to have the love. Um, and we have the church of Ephesus who fell to one side of it. And we have the church of Pergamum who fell to the other side of it. And it sounded like they were both really trying, but even in their attempts to follow God, they were leaning more toward, you know, taste great, less filling, blue highlighter. You know, they were leaning more towards one to the detriment of the other. So first let's look at Ephesus. Um, and this is Revelation 2, 1 through 7. It's an older version of NIV, so you may have a little bit different wording if you have like the 2011 version. And this is, we'll, we'll actually start with verse 2. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. You have found them false. So it says that we're supposed to test the spirits. It says that we're supposed to live for the truth. It says we're not supposed to believe false things. This is all good, right? You've persevered and endured hardship for my name. So we definitely have a picture of faithfulness here. Um, and you've not grown weary. Um, so they've been working hard. They've been moving towards the truth, living towards the truth. Obedience to the truth. True obedience has been a big deal for them. Um, yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now lampstand, it says a little earlier on, is representative of the church itself. So I'm going to take the authority away from the church if you don't do this. And isn't that interesting? He's saying you're being faithful. You're being faithful in the, you know, English-American sense. You're doing what you're supposed to do, but you're forgetting why you're doing it. That word first love, I've wrestled with it. By first, does John mean the love you had at first? Or by first, does he mean your most important love? And I would say yes. <laughs> I think it's written this way because, yes, the love that you had at first, which is also the most important love. Um, any of us out there ever been so busy trying to do the right thing for God that we forget to spend time with God? Any of us, even outside of the church, gone towards a mission that we thought was great? I really want my kids to have a great life, you know. And you spend so much time working for that great life that you forget to spend time with your kids. Um, you spend so much time trying to make a good home for your husband, trying to make a good living for your wife, or vice versa, you know, that you forget to be with your husband or your wife. And it's really easy. And he's like, you're veering in the wrong direction. You know, there are good people in the world who aren't Christians, who don't know the Lord. God's not just calling us to be good people. First of all, we're going to run out of steam. Secondly, being a good person is not what gets you into heaven. And it's not what fulfills you. Hopefully we're good people because we are fulfilled. And that's Christ living in and through us. So, um, so that's something we got to repent of. Isn't that crazy? You know, it's not just what we do. It's how we're feeling. It's our attitude. 
It's an attitude of the heart. We have to check that a lot. I know I do. I, this is this has been a struggle for me. Um, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, the Nicolaitans, sometimes they, um, a lot of church history um, puts that back to Nicholas, who would have been one of the seven people back in Acts who were chosen to serve as deacons, to serve the church. And I, I don't know if that's true or not, but I know that the teaching is of the Nicolaitans is do what you want. It, it's what they might call Gnostic, which is relying on, there's a form of Gnosticism is like worshiping knowledge itself instead of worshiping God. And it basically says our bodies aren't important. God's important. Um, so some people, when they're Gnostic, will beat their bodies because they're like, oh, my body's evil, my body's evil. Um, some people will say it doesn't matter what we do with our bodies because we're spiritual beings. So people would indulge in all kinds of sin and go, it's okay, God loves you anyways. It's okay, we're spiritual beings. Our spirit's going to heaven, so it doesn't matter what happens to our body. And um, and of course, what we do with our body can invite a lot of spiritual destruction. What we do to our body can invite a lot of spiritual destruction, can invite a lot of problems. So they weren't allowing that. They were like, no, they weren't allowing false te teachings. That No, they were going for the truth. They were going for the obedience. But they forgot why they were doing it. So that's one side. Um, and then we have the Church of Pergamum. And that is a little later in the chapter. And let me see. Uh, this is verse 13. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Woo! That's crazy. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Now the word for martyr, we think about death. Somebody who goes to death. Martyr actually means witness. So, you love me so much that you were willing to die for me. So that's a love. They have the true love. They remembered why they loved. Even when other people died because of it. I love God. That's it. They remembered their first love. Uh, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Let's go back real quick. Um, Balaam was a king in Moab, and the Israelites were kicking their butts, basically. They were going to, um, right on the verge of crossing the Jordan to possess the promised land. And Balaam didn't like that. And so Numbers 22 through 24 were his attempts over and over again to get someone named Balak to curse the Israelites. And Balak said, I cannot curse the Israelites because I think there were seven different times. He's like, please go against the Israelites. And he kept saying, that's not what God's telling me. God's saying, you're going to be destroyed. The Israelites are going to be victorious. And so Balaam was, as a king, was very frustrated that somebody wasn't doing what they were told. And he's like, okay, we're going to have a problem. So he said, new uh, if you can't beat them, <laughs> seduce them, evidently. I can't overcome these people with my power. I can't overcome them with the money I have, and I have a lot of it. I can't overcome them by getting somebody else to curse them. I can't get other people to turn against them. So I'm going to entice them. And it says in Numbers 25-1, while Israel was staying in Shittim, Shittim? Shittim, I don't know. The men began to indulge in sexual immorality with the Moabite women. 
who invited them to sacrifice to their gods. The people ate and bowed down before the gods, so Israel joined in worship of Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against him. So, and that was verses, uh, Numbers 25, 1 through 3. So, basically, you can't beat the church, you can't knock it down, we can't convince him to go against God. We'll just come right in, and we'll act like they're friends, and we'll get them to do things that gets God to turn against them. So it was even more than just the sexual immorality. It was like, we can't kill them, so we'll corrupt them. Sure, they love God, you know. There are people, unfortunately, today who still will do that, men and women. There's a person that loves their wife. I can't get them to leave their wife, so I'll just appeal to that love and get them to do things with me, too. Um, unfortunately, it's more common than we know. Um, so that that's what happened. Where am I now? I lost it. Um, okay, here we go. So you hold to the teaching of Balak that enticed them to sin. And likewise, you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans, which is to do whatever you want. Eat, drink, be merry, get large, get drunk, do whatever makes your body feel good. Kind of the Mardi Gras kind of the thought. Um, repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of the mouth. Now, isn't that interesting? Sometimes we have this thing in the church that say, oh, people, those Christians, I'm not going to be a Christian because they're judgmental, or people outside of the church, because they're judgmental, and they just assume that just because someone's pure, that's trying to maintain a purity, that's wrong. You have a bad spirit, you're gossiping, you're looking down on me, you don't even care, you're just rigid. Sometimes people think of, when you think of Christian piety, some people mistake it for rigidity. And you know what? You're not right that piety is rigidity. Those are two different things. But the idea of people that just go so far into keeping purity that they forget the love, that's still sin. That's still hamartalah, sin, missing the mark. And it's still something we have to repent of. I know it's something that I've had to repent of um, because integrity is incredibly important to me. Um, being who I say I am is incredibly important to me. So when I see somebody who I see is living falsely on purpose, who's pretending to be one thing and is another, I have a very hard time with getting critical. Or even sometimes the ideology of just living so freely that you're not taking responsibility for your life or that it looks to me like that. That's a judgment I make. That's, that's, a, that's a real thing. And that's something I need to repent for. And it's according to what John's saying and according to... Christ saying, because these are the words of Christ, he keeps saying, that's not less severe than this other side. But then on the other side, you have Pergamum. I love the Lord. I will stay committed to the Lord. I will remember how that feeling, that connection, that reliance and need on the Lord, but I'm going to let those passions go elsewhere. I mean, we've got to focus the passion, you know, and, um, I love that, that it's really calling back to the center. And I think that's what God does to us daily. Um, I'm not saying that I haven't been, <laughs> you know, I haven't said, you know, God says go, go what? Uh, forgive your husband, not that. Go repent to your husband. Say sorry to your husband. And I said to God, I don't want to because he's wrong and I'm right. <laughs> you know, um, but it's not really about that. It's about if God said it, go do it. Smallest things. 
I, I don't want to hear from anybody. I'm sorry, I don't want to hear from anybody. When you feel convicted of sin, if someone says to you, don't do that, that's not right. Well, I'm offended at how you said that to me, so I'm going to do it anyways. It doesn't really matter how they said it to you. What matters is what God said. If God said don't do it, then don't do it. If you're offended by how someone told you that, maybe they told you the wrong way, but don't do it anyways, you know? Um, and at the same time, well, I have a right to say that about them. I have a right to say it to you that way. You know, probably in that situation, both people have to repent, you know? <laughs> both people have to repent because whether or not something's wrong, we're, we're called to talk in love. Um, and so that's my challenge today. You know, I don't know where you're at. Um, have to do some heart messaging to know where I'm at. I know that we had a friend over last night that we're talking about this in a different way, but this is my prayer today. God, just bring us back to the center, Lord. We confess. Um, we know that you'll meet us where we're at. We're so grateful for your grace, Lord. We know this isn't a matter of being without flaw. It's a matter of leaning into your perfection, into your completion, Lord. But as we try to walk out this completion that you've given us, You've completed us, Lord. We know we veer to the left and the right. We know sometimes we focus on purity and obedience. And in doing that, we get a little bit too self-righteous. Um, or we get a little too rigid and we forget the warmth and the love. Some of us don't know the joy because we're so worried about the obligation. You're not a God of obligation. Um, you're a God who wants the best for us and calls us to the best, and that's what it's about. Lord Jesus, we confess that in you. And for those of us who are struggling with obedience, Lord, um, just give a new, fresh conviction, Lord. Not that we would condemn ourselves when we go wrong, but that we would keep leaning into you, into your word, into your obedience, and seeking that, and not just giving up. It's not about the people who struggle with it. It's when we stop struggling. We say, never mind, I'm going to do whatever I want, Lord. We just refute that lie from hell, that... What we do with our bodies don't matter because our bodies are your temple, God. And Lord, we have to lean on you so much for truth. There's no quick and fast answer for how what you do every moment, but you're the answer, and you're the long and enduring answer, Lord. So just guide us and lead, lead us, and we ask for your wisdom, knowing that when we ask according to faith that you're going to give it to us. So we thank you in advance for the new ways you will reveal yourself to us today. In your name, amen. Be blessed, my friends. Thank you.